Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts 2 and 4. We start at Acts 2, verse 41 to 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Chapter 4, verse 32 to 37. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Heather. Good morning, family. How you doing? All right. Fantastic. Sounds like you're doing great. (laughs) All right. Let's let's pray. After all, last week we did discuss that spirit-empowered people wait before they work. So let's actually practice... Uh, waiting on our Father and the empowering presence of His Spirit uh, before we do our work this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for uh, giving us life. Thank You for sending Jesus to rescue us. Uh, Jesus, we thank You for living a perfect life in our place, uh, dying a death in our place, the death we deserve to die because of our rebellion, going to the grave on our behalf and rising again on our behalf. Uh, Now death has lost its sting. It's been swallowed up in your victory over the, over the grave. We thank you for sending your spirit. Father, we pray this morning that we would, that you would send your spirit anew for us to open our ears and our eyes. Father, help us to be humble enough to admit that without the presence of your spirit, we're just, we're just going through the motions. So help us now, even in this moment, just brief silence to posture our hearts as needy and to tell you as our father that we we need the presence of your spirit and we're going to wait and we need to hear from you again this morning i pray that as we hear from you father you would bring our hearts to life and we pray this in jesus name amen amen so we continue our series this morning in the book of acts and the series theme is simply empowered we're learning that followers of jesus are a spirit empowered people we're not a self powered people. Also this weekend, as John mentioned, uh, Pillar Church of Okinawa turns five years old. So happy birthday, family. How's it feel to be five? Great, right? Wouldn't it be great to go back? Uh, Maybe not to five. So on April 17th of 2016, that was the first time that we gathered as a family here in Okinawa. And I just want to take a very brief walk down. We'll bring back vivid memories for you. And for some of you, you'll see these images and and they won't necessarily mean anything. But just bear with us. This will be a brief walk down memory lane. So this building is Busy Beast School, which is located right outside the Legion Gate of Camp Foster. Um, 
we were on the second floor. You like the curtains? Those are nice. And this was our first gathering place. This was our first Sunday together. This was a couple Sundays later when we were adding our, uh, the first members of our family. And so we met here for several months. And actually, somebody took a little bit of video footage. So I think this is the first time that we sang together as a family. Five years ago, guys, first time together as a family singing. This was our first baptism. This is Lance, Lance Mitchell. Uh, Lance and Roxanne were part of our family for, for a while. Lance actually just got back from the sandbox, and uh, I think they're in California, but I think they're moving down to Florida or somewhere in the south. Anyway, uh, just a really special part of our family, and um, yeah, miss them dearly. So then we got bounced out of Busy Bee. We kind of outgrew the space, and they got tired of us setting up and tearing down, and so we went to this place, which is was really just down the road, Yugafu Church. It's bulldozed. It's gone. It's just, there's, I think there's a 7-Eleven in its place now. Uh, but this, this is, this is the play. This is like a club slash church. Notice the disco ball at the top. And you can't really see it in this photo very well, but there are, the, the columns are mirrored. I think I've told you about that before. So that was Yagufu. We were there for a few, a few months while we were looking for a place and God ended up providing not this building first, but the building next door. I think that's on the next picture. And that was our first Sunday next door in what is known as China Pete's. So where the toddler or the preschoolers meet now is where we would gather for worship. But it didn't look like that when we moved in. It didn't look like this. Next slide. There was a lot of work that had to be done. Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, so uh, that's Matt Mulherin. He did so much of not only the demo work, but the building, framing up, getting the floor to the same level. And so anyway, Matt led a team of guys, and they put that together. That's Scott. Uh, Scott, I, like, I don't want to publicly talk about the heart issue that you were having at the time, but I think I just did. Okay, good. So your heart was a little bit out of rhythm, right? Something like that. Yeah, a little bit. And so Scott is MacGyver, basically. He's like a modern-day MacGyver, but um, also an electrician. And shocked, how, we, don't, we lost track of how many times you electrocuted yourself while renovating the building next door. But God, by God's mercy, sh uh, Scott shocked his heart back into rhythm while renovating. See, that just goes to show you, like... Uh, yeah, Jesus said something about forsake everything, like give yourself to the kingdom and the gospel, and he would make sure that all of your needs are. So it worked out with Scott. There's Matt Jr. Uh, Matt Mulherin Jr. did a lot of the work too, tearing stuff out and uh, uh, putting stuff in. And man, it was a family affair. This was on the third floor. We had, I mean, every kid that was a part of the family at that time found something to do, whether it was scraping or painting. Uh, the family just really worked together to transform the building. There's Caleb. Are you in the room, Caleb? See next door? Okay, so Caleb's twice that height now. Yep, and Emma. Happy birthday, Emma. And uh, so here's Grant. This is the wood, wood wall next door. So it was at the front of the gathering space next door. And Grant carved in these words, know Jesus and make him known. And uh, go to the next, next picture, please. I just, I just want to say publicly, um, man, Grant, I really, really appreciate. Where'd you go? I'm not even looking at you. There you are. Um, to me, that picture, that image of Grant carving into the wood is really symbolic because, man... I'm not going to get emotional today, and it's really just sleep deprivation, but um, man, you, you carved Jesus' name into the wood, but for five years, you've been carving his name in the beauty of his gospel. I'm good. I'm emotional because it's my birthday, and she's turning 11, and I did tell her this morning, I said, Emma, you share a birthday with the church, but if I could only choose one and keep one, uh, you got to know it's you, right? All right. Next slide. So we were outgrowing the space next door, got a contractor, and he's drawn up plans for what would be this building. It was a liquor store for a long time, and they were going out of business. We won the bid. It was really incredible. A ton of businesses 
wanted to get in here. Uh, a dance school that's a really popular dance school on the island wanted this place. At that time, the barbers had gone on strike on Kadena. I don't know if you remember that. And so they needed off-base facilities. So there was a huge push to get a, a barber shop in here. But we won. We won the bid because we would only need parking primarily on weekends. And as you can tell, parking is always an issue here. God's grace, we won. Those are the plans. You can go to the next slide. It was just a very cool process to watch, tearing it down, putting the walls up, keep going. And uh, finally kind of getting the, getting the chairs in. I think that was a couple of days before our first gathering, and here is the family. Go ahead. Um, but at the end of the day, right, we can show pictures of buildings all day long. Those are just places. Places matter. Place matters, but place is not ultimate. And God's family can gather anywhere. I think we've learned that uh, throughout the pandemic, churches that are already postured to scatter well and gather in smaller groups and homes, kind of like the New Testament model anyway, um, are better suited for conditions like that. So we don't need this building. By God's grace, he's given, to it, given it to us. But at the end of the day, um, we're, in the, we're in the people business. We exist for God's glory and for the good of people. And God has used these spaces for the good of a lot of people. But again, they're, they're buildings. We don't need these buildings. And uh, our priority is... Uh, each and every person that God adopts into the family. Thanks, guys. Thanks for scrolling through those pictures. I appreciate it. Before we press into our text this morning, I just want to say this. Hitting the five-year mark for a church plant is a really big deal. It's, it's a huge deal. It's monumental. Many, 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 most church plants fail. Here's a quote um, from a, a researcher that deals with church planting. He says, uh, church planting is difficult, treacherous, and not guaranteed to succeed, right? So that's church planting in a normal environment. Now throw in our savage PCS cycle, which makes church planting that much more arduous, and then throw in our COVID experience over the last year, year and a half, um, exceptionally difficult circumstances. Some estimates say that four out of five new churches will fail. Might be a little high, but it's not far off. A more reliable statistic is that as many as four in 10 churches will not survive past three years. So the fact that by God's grace, we hit five is a really big deal. And those six churches that do make it to three by, by kind of year five, six, seven, and eight, that's where the rest of them tend to kind of flame out. And so again, uh, by God's grace, here we are today. And that's the question I really want to ask. How do we make it here to five years? Like, how did Pillar Church of Okinawa make it here to five years? And uh, first and foremost, we just have to say God's kindness. Absolutely an act of God's kindness. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together for our good. And we know if the Spirit is not present, there is no life, right? Church is not a gimmick. You can play gimmicks and games. You can attract people through pony rides, balloons, and face painting, um, you can do all kinds of things to draw a crowd, but if the spirit is not present, there, there is no life. And we don't want to be about gimmick, gimmicks and uh, those types of things. And so we point absolutely to the kindness of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit at working together for our good, for his fame, and for the good of people not yet adopted in. So God's kindness, that's why we're here today celebrating five years. But um, an aspect of God's kindness would be the family support that we've received. And so I just want to point this out. You guys know that we're part of two families. The first is Acts 29. And so as you PCS, as you prepare to move around again this year, uh, when you go to a new community and you're looking for a new church family, I would encourage you to, to, as a part of your search, search for other Acts 29 churches in your community. Maybe you'll find a good fit there. Maybe not. But I am exceptionally grateful for the work that this family has done to support the planting of Pillar Church of Okinawa. They have, they have, been, they have proven to be family over the five years that we have been a church family here. So Acts 29, that's a family that we're part of. And the second is the Pillar Church family. And here's a little bit of a graphic that might be kind of hard to read, but I just want to show you. It all started back in 1979 with Stafford Baptist Church in Virginia. Um, and then in 2005, that church planted Pillar Church of Dumfries. And I'm not going to walk through all the numbers. You can see us at the top, number 19, Pillar Church of, of Okinawa. But that's our family tree. That's where we come from, the Pillar family. And at least for those of you on the Marine Corps side of things here, as you move around, our Pillar family started as an expression primarily in Marine Corps communities. So if you're going to Virginia, Pillar Church of Dumfries, and actually they're getting ready to replant 
Pillar Stafford late summer. So if you're PCSing to Virginia, it's the perfect opportunity to partner with them in a new church plant. And Mike Garlam's the lead teaching pastor there. I got nothing but respect for Mike. Uh, It's going to be a fantastic gospel-shaped family. Um, Oceanside, my family and I were there for a season. San Diego, you can see it. They're all they're all right, now, right there. But that, that's our family, the pillar uh, family of churches. And I want to commend uh, our sister churches to you. So we're here because of God's kindness. We're here because of family support. And honestly, we're here because of a long and growing line of servant missionaries. And uh, I don't have a picture to display because I'm talking about you. So just look around the room. We are here this morning because of you and the people seated to your left and right who have sacrificially invested in the life of this church family. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you. Whether you've been here for five years or five days, this is your family. We don't, we don't rank. There's no hierarchy. You don't have a vested interest because you've been, you're not a plank holder. Uh, no pews with names on them. We don't even do pews. Um, five years or five days, this is your family. So I want to thank you for the way that you've poured yourself into this, into this family. Between the services, you will notice that we're going to take a couple of photos just so that nobody's offended. All I want is the reason why we're taking that photo is not to exclude anybody. We're trying to gather the remaining remnant of people that were actually in that busy bee building and capture a picture before the rest of them PC. After this season, the only people remaining from that generation will be the Koya family, the Ellis family, and the Ransom family. Everybody else who is here in that generation will be gone. So we're going to take, take a photo uh, in between services. So happy birthday, family. I'm really glad to be in the same family as, as you. Shifting gears a little bit. So we're turning five. Do you remember turning five? I don't remember turning five. There's a picture of me turning five, staring at a birthday cake. Um, I don't remember turning five. I do remember wondering how I would be able to eat all that cake, just like keep it to myself. But I don't remember turning five. But certainly you can remember thinking, man, what am I going to be when I grow up? Do you remember that? Like kind of throughout childhood, thinking about what you would grow into be? Maybe it's easier now for those of us who are parents already. You watch your children grow another year older and you look at them and you imagine what they will become or who they will become. And there are certain realities that you are hopeful for in their lives. And so here's the question. Does God, as our father, have similar aspirations for us? Does he have hopes as to who we would become as we grow older as his family? Does he have a desire for us? Does he want us to be a certain kind of family or a certain kind of kid? And what we're going to see in the text this morning is absolutely our father's vision for us as a family is clear and it's simple. And our problem is that we so routinely overcomplicate what it means to be a Christian and we so routinely overcomplicate what it means to be be a church and to do church life together. And we're going to see in the text this morning, it's clear and it's simple, not easy, but clear and simple. So here's our big idea from the text this morning. Spirit empowered people devote themselves to Jesus words and ways. And maybe the most important word in this sentence together, Jesus spirit empowered people devote themselves to his words and his ways together. And what we'll see as we explore that idea this morning is that what God calls us to share, again, it's simple. We overcomplicate this big time. He calls us to share teaching, his words, right? Share teaching. He calls us to share meals. He calls us to share prayer with each other. And he calls us to share our resources together. So teaching, meals, prayer, and resources. And just so you see that I'm not making this up, or I didn't get it from a book that was written recently to talk about how to simplify church and all these things. It actually comes from the New Testament and God's design for his family. And here it is, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So Jesus' words and Jesus' way. Jesus' words and Jesus' way. So it says they devoted themselves. We know what it means to be devoted. Let me just ask you, what are you devoted to right now? What are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? And you don't have to give the Christian, don't give the Sunday school answer. Got it. You're all devoted to Jesus. Got it. I'm not, like, what are, you, what are you devoted to right now? You have a diet goal, uh, an exercise goal, a career goal, a relationship goal. We're all devoted to something right now. And so how do we live when we're devoted to something? When we're devoted, we 
pursue that thing, right? We order our lives so that we have a singular pursuit of that one thing. We pursue. We're passionate. Our passion spills over in our pursuit, but it spills over in our conversation. We talk about what we're pursuing. We talk about what we're ordered around. So we pursue it. We're passionate. And we're even personally defined by it. it our, whatever we have devoted ourselves to begins defining how we think of ourselves as a person. So we find personal definition there. And as we read this early account of the church as it was just being birthed, we see that God's family simply was devoted to two things right here, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, okay? So two things, again, simple and very clear, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. All right, so let's start with apostles' teaching. What is that? What is the apostles' teaching? Well, very simply, um, check this out, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. This is known as the Great Commission. It'll be on the screen for you, Great Commission. And it goes like this. Jesus said to his disciples, all right, I'm, I'm leaving, and I'm going to send you out. So I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples of all nations, and I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're going to witness that this morning. And here it is, verse 20. I want you to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus has spent the last three years with this, this group of people. And as he's preparing to leave, he's saying, all right, I want you to take everything that I have taught you. And I want you to teach the next generation of my family. I'm about to adopt in a whole bunch more kids. We're going to call them disciples and you're going to invest in them relationally. You're going to baptize them, initiate them into the family. And then you're going to teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. That's the great commission. And it's passed on from generation to generation. You hand certain things down to your kids, right? Jesus handed this down to the first generation of kids adopted into the family, and every generation thereafter hands it down and passes it down to next. This is ours. This is ours right now. This is our commission. This is what Jesus calls us to. And so Jesus had spent three years with the apostles, and it was their job to share all of his teaching with the church. So when we read that the early church is devoted to the apostles' teaching, we can understand that as simply the early church was devoted to Jesus' work. Jesus' own teaching. Nothing original with the apostles. This all uh, originated with Jesus. And the way it was communicated to the early church first was just orally. It wasn't written down. It was all word of mouth, okay? It was all word of mouth, and then it took the form of the gospel accounts, right? So we have those here, and it takes the form of the letters that some of the apostles wrote to individual churches scattered throughout um, the known region at the time. So the question is, do we still have the apostles' teaching? Do we have it? We still have it, right? So we can be devoted to it, right? And when we're devoted to the apostles' teaching, what are we actually devoted to? Not the apostles and not their original teachings, but uh, Jesus' own words himself. Okay, so devoted to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, devoted to the fellowship. Now, for some of you who are in like a hyper-realized youth group growing up, you already know this word, koinonia. Anybody ever part of a koinonia group? You were. That's it? I'm a little disappointed. All right, we've got some koinonias. In the- yes, look at that. That's a Greek word. Um, it, 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 it simply means participation or sharing or to have something in common. Okay, so they're devoted to the apostles' teaching and they're devoted to something that's translated fellowship, but they're devoted to something that the apostles are talking about is a participation, a sharing, and to have something in common. You notice as we heard the text read for us a little while ago in verse 44 and 46, there's also this word together, right? Did you see that? Together? Now, look at this. In verse the first description of people becoming Christians, look at this. What happens? They hear the gospel. They hear the gospel. And then what? They receive, right? So they hear the gospel. They receive the word. And then they were, what? Baptized, initiated into the family. And then what? What next? They're, they're added. Is that a personal word or a communal word? All right, just, okay. For people who care about math, let's just stick with mathematicians right now. If we're talking about addition, just give us the philosophy of what's happening right there. Say again? Adding to something more plural. Can we use the word plural? 
it's more than one, right? Notice this. Um, what's happening here, um, you would almost expect based on like modern, the way we describe Christianity now is um, these people receive the gospel, they're baptized. Shouldn't he start talking about personal quiet time? Like, shouldn't he start talking about Jesus calling you and your personal relationship with him and just um, devotions and what's the word? We like the the prayer closet, right? The prayer closet. Notice none of these personal things are in here. Now, is becoming a Christian deeply personal? Yeah. Can't discount that. Deeply personal. Is it ever, 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 ever private? Never private. We could describe it this way. Becoming a follower of Jesus is not private practice. Rather, it's communal participation. We have got to start deprogramming ourselves that being a follower of Jesus means private practice and start relearning what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that it is communal participation. So they're added. They're added to what? A family, a family that has Christ in common, a shared life and participation. And so what do we share? We share Christ. That's what we have in common. Not nationality. The church is not defined by nationality, ethnicity, or race. Uh, The church is not, uh, we don't have our political views in common. We sure found that out over the last year, did we not? We don't have that in common. You don't have your service branch in common. Good thing. That's a great thing. This has been my favorite church plant because Pillar Jacks, where we were for a year, was like straight up Marine Corps town. Man, you already know what the culture of that church was like, right? Man. So I'm just happy that we're like, we're diverse here and we help each other and it's just much more life-giving. Um, not service branch, not pay grade, not even vaccine convictions or preferences about face masks, right? You can form groups around any of these other things, but we'll call them clubs or co-ops or whatever. Call them whatever you want, but not the, not the church. We have Christ in common, Christ in common. And our shared life and our participation is anchored in Jesus. Here's a really helpful thing to remember. In the church, we are not alike. We are adopted in. We're, we're, we're adopted in kids. We're not, we're not alike. In other words, outside of the church family, we may or may not be friends. We may not really have the common ground necessary to form a robust, vibrant friendship, but that's not the purpose of the church. We are not alike. We are adopted in. We're, we're family, right? We're family in Jesus. He is the one thing that we have in common. So you're like, all right, John, I got it. Christ in common. Uh, but what does this fellowship thing look like in the everyday life? It just sounds like a spiritual word. Um, do we need a koinonia group? Like w- w- what exactly is this fellowship? Well, thankfully Luke gives clarity here. And again, it's very simple. He says to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So what does fellowship mean? It means that we have Jesus in common, right? Participation, we share that. And what it looks like in the everyday day-to-day is that we share meals and we share prayer together. So when, when, when Luke's talking about meals here, they were, he's just talking about regular meals. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner, they're sharing regular meals. They're serving up good food um, and practicing hospitality with each other. Because again, the church isn't like family. We are family, and families share tables. But it's more than just food. When we share a table with somebody, we're communicating dignity. We're communicating an acknowledgement that you're created in the Imago Dei. A meal meal time is an intimate family activity where it's face-to-face and eye-to-eye, and we share stories, and we laugh together, and we cry together, and we enjoy the good gifts that God has given us. Guys, we overcomplicate church, but who knew that obeying Jesus could actually happen by smoking and sharing a brisket? We chuckle, guys, because we have so overcomplicated it that it's embarrassing now. It's embarrassing. We think we have to do all these big things and fill our schedule, and guys, Jesus is calling you as his family to share meals together. We have Christ in common, and now the way that's going to play out is we open our homes and actually live together like we're family. Now, there's a missional component to this, too, where Jesus calls us to share meals with people outside the family, but this particular passage is not there yet. It's kind of talking about the early DNA of Jesus' family, so it's talking about sharing with the family right now. 
shared meals, regular meals, but also the Lord's Supper, sharing communion together, which is a symbolic meal, which we share every Sunday when we gather. Um, So that idea is wrapped up in sharing meals, sharing meals, also shared prayer. So we share Jesus, we share meals, and we share prayer. Uh, Let me ask you this question. How many of you struggle with consistency in your prayer uh, you know, isn't this crazy? Again, we overcomplicate everything. Did you know the word, the, the phrase prayer life is not in the Bible? But you struggle with it, right? Think about that for a minute. We've created a category that the Bible has not itself created, and you struggle with it so you feel guilt and shame. What's a prayer life? What is prayer? Prayer is talking to your dad, right? Let's just simplify this thing. Prayer is talking to your dad. Our rebel hearts really, really do struggle with talking to our dad, though. We struggle with exercising that dependence. We talked about that last week. We struggle with waiting before we work. We just go to work. Um, we struggle. We struggle with prayer. We struggle with talking to our dad. And here's the beauty of this command. Our dad knew that every one of us would struggle alone. And so he tells his kids, guys, again, look, immediately these people are becoming Christians. And, oh, there go my tea bags. I promise it's tea. And, um, yeah, there's my note from my son. Sorry, I got, I think. Oh, that's yours? We're just throwing stuff at each other. There it is. All right, got that. Thanks. I'll be okay. What's the first command, guys? You go pray to your dad alone. So when we're discipling, we're helping people become Christians, like, okay, go read your Bible alone. Go pray alone. That's not the way of Jesus. We share these things. We listen to our dad's voice together. We share meals together so we can talk about our dad's voice, listen to his voice together, and talk. We share meals together so we can pray together, not alone. Now, is there a place for praying alone? Of course. We'll see that in a little while. But our dad knew this, guys. And so he's basically saying to his kids, I want you to work together in this. Don't struggle alone. Basically, son, you can keep struggling if you want to, or you could start sharing. Daughter, you could continue living under guilt and shame for this struggle, or you can embrace the design that I gave you and share this with the family. You can sustain your struggle till your funeral, or you can slay your struggle with the family. Those are your choices when it comes to prayer. Shared meals, shared prayer, we shared Jesus. What I've experienced in kind of church culture is this. Some churches devote themselves to the teaching, right? And that's good. We care a lot about Jesus' words, and that's kind of of central. That's good, but it's incomplete. There should be more. Some churches devote themselves to fellowship, and that's good. Jesus' way, that's good, but it's incomplete. A healthy family devotes themselves to both Jesus' words and Jesus' way. So as we turn five, let's just stop and ask this question, these questions. First of all, am I actively, like right now, am I actively devoting myself to Jesus' words? Am I actively devoting myself to Jesus' way? Are we, are we as a family simply devoting ourselves to Jesus' words and Jesus' way? Are you? I would ask that question of you personally. Are you devoting yourself to Jesus' words and Jesus' way? And if not, why not? Why why not? Notice what happens in response to this kind of a culture. It says, awe came upon every soul in verse 43. Now, Now look at this. In the same verse, what does it say next? You got a comma, and then what does it say? Something's kind of added on. But we always take this together like we make the second part of the sentence primary. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That's a secondary piece of information. We'll explore it in the weeks to come. We're going to see several incredible accounts of how God was working through the empowerment of his spirit through the apostles. But the awe was coming upon every soul, not primarily because of the wonders and signs. Awe was coming upon people as Christians, these new followers of Jesus, devoted themselves to Jesus' words and Jesus' way. Now, some of you think, because you've been taught this by a complicated church culture, that you cannot awe-inspire anyone unless you have a Bible college degree. 
or a seminary degree so that you can use big words or until you've read a whole lot of books or until you've watched the best apologist on YouTube and you can win every argument. Guys, those are lies. And it's more guilt and shame that you're tempted to live under. All that is required to be inspiring through the gospel is a life that is reordered around the words and the way of Jesus. Now, again, let's simplify that. What are the words and way of Jesus? As a family, we share teaching, we share meals, and we share prayer. We share our lives. And that is such a beautiful family culture that it will be awe-inspiring for the people inside the family and for the people outside the family because it is so radically countercultural and life-giving. Let me just ask you this question. When it comes to your view, your view of God right now, are you personally awe-inspired? Is God's beauty, is the, the magic, like the... It, it, When you think of God, are you overwhelmed with awe for who he is and for what he's doing in his family? Now, again, the Sunday school answer is we all want to nod our heads and say, Jesus. Yeah. Right? Publicly, we want to say yes. Guys, can we just be, let's be the kind of family that we can look around the room and say, not really. Like, awe fades really quickly and really easily. And maybe we spend most of our lives not awe-inspired by our Father or his gospel. And most of our lives under this guilt and shame that we don't have this awe any longer. Guys, awe fades hard and fast. You know what fuels the awe in your heart by God's design? You know what it is? Family time. Shared teaching. Again, we complicate this so much. Shared teaching. Shared meals and shared prayer. What fueled the awe in, in their hearts as they considered God? What, what caused it to be awe-inspiring? This culture, this culture right here. The pathway back to a heart that is in awe of who God is and what God is doing is your participation in his family to share his voice with your brothers and sisters, to share the same meal table, and to share stories and prayer. Awe-inspiring. Now, they shared more. They also shared resources. And, and this, is, this is pretty awe-inspiring. Check this out. Uh, verses 44 and 45, it says, All who believed were together and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So God, guys, here is our father's family ethos right here. Personal gain for family good. If the father has adopted you in, and he gives you personal gain. He is giving you personal gain for his glory and for his family's good. That, that, so that's our family ethos. Personal gain for family good. And I see this all the time in our life, in the life of our MCs. I know you guys believe this and you're living by this ethos. I have experienced it personally and I watch it all the time. Now, a little later in the book, Luke adds some color commentary, if you will. Uh, Heather read that for us in chapter four. Look at how he describes this spirit of generosity in the, in the first generation of the church. Now, listen again, nobody read a book about giving generously. Nobody went to Bible college. Nobody went to seminary. This is like week one of the life of the church. You know what cultivates this kind of generosity? A heart that's gripped by the, by the gospel, by God's kindness towards us. And look at what it does. Chapter 4, verse 32. Now, the full number of those who, were, of, who, of who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. That's crazy. Can we just ask the question, do we talk about our stuff like that? Do we talk about our bank accounts like that? I know you talk about your Oki car like that, but that's, that's a separate thing. <laughs> but they had everything in common, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Look at this in verse 34. This is insane. There was not a single needy person among the family. Because as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. What does that tell us about the early church? All the kids who were adopted in, there were some rich people 
And it's not bad to be rich. And there were some middle-class people, if that even existed then, not so much. And there were some poorer people all together in one church. There were landowners and there were people that worked a subsistence living. Not separate churches for different classes, not separate churches for different races or ethnicities. We've been learning that together in Acts. One family, diverse, one thing in common. Jesus probably wouldn't be friends on the outside, but we're family on the, we're not alike, but we're adopted. And this radical generosity so that any person who had need received generous gift from those that God had given resources to. They shared, they shared resources. And here's just one example. A guy named Joseph, who was also called by the apostles, apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I don't think we have a lot of landowners in here. None of you really land, own land here. Um, Maybe some of you own land back in the States. But most of you got a stimulus check, multiple stimulus checks over the last year. But we're not all Americans in this room. So there are many people in our church family who didn't receive a stimulus check. Some people in our family have like 11 kids, so you got like $100,000. Some people in our family don't have any kids, so they got like $5, right? So what would that look like in our church family now? Maybe in your missional community, it would look like pooling some of those resources and identifying the people who didn't receive and have need or didn't receive as much and have greater need and giving them what they need to meet the need that they have. Like this is still very practical for us. We can still live this out as simply as Jesus calls us to. And guys, this is the way of Jesus. It's not more complicated than this. Jesus' words and Jesus' way, or for you Mandalorian nerds in the room, this is the way. Right? This is the way. He's spoken. I've spoken. But how beautiful is this? This is the father's union or vision for his kids, for his family. Now, there are two ways that we could organize this, and we do it both ways in a church family. Most of this plays out organically in the life of a missional community, as it should be, right? You, you identify the needs, you pool your resources, and you give. Sometimes it's monetary. Most of the time, it's through meal trains, uh, deployment support, support of a family right after the birth of a child, providing child care, um, and sometimes monetary, or it can be done at the church level, which we actually kind of discourage. We want you guys working this out in your missional communities. But one example of that would be our adoption fund, where people give regularly to this fund, and then so we as the pastoral team have the opportunity to identify need and give those monies to those who are in need. This is and so now Luke moves on to a bit of a summary. Check this out, verses 46 to 47. He says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Guys, we can't let some of these words escape us day by day. Okay. Not just on Sunday, but every day following Jesus isn't a weekend thing. It's a way of life. It's complete reorientation around his words and his ways. It's awe-inspiring because of its beauty. So day by day, the everyday stuff of life, they were attending the temple together. Now, that may cause some of you to be curious. We, we know Christianity has profoundly Jewish roots, right? And so th this is week one, again, mind you, week one of Christianity explosion, uh, exploding. So it's in a little bit of a transitional period. So where have they always been gathering for public worship of God? the temple. So they continue to gather there until tensions build and they'll be forced out of the, the temples and um, kind of a second birth will happen where um, God's family will begin gathering for public worship outside of, the, uh, outside of the temples. But we're in this transitional period. So they're attending the temple together. A change will happen very soon. But they're also breaking bread in their homes. And so Luke's point of writing it this way is this. Jesus' family has always gathered publicly for worship and privately in a smaller, more intimate gathering throughout the week for shared teaching, shared meals, shared prayer, and shared resources because we're family, right? Both are equally important. Now look at this. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now that sentence kind of, it should pop at us a little bit because you would almost just expect the sentence to say that they received their food with glad hearts and you could put a period right there, right? We understand receiving food with gladness. I receive food with gladness all the time, all the time. 
especially now that I'm an adult and I can reject what my mom had been offering me for those 18 years and just choose all the good things that I want. So we get that, receiving the food with gladness. She gave me some good food too. But, but check this out. In Jesus' family, we also receive with generous hearts. And that is evidence of the Spirit's empowering presence right there. What's happening is our Father's kindness creates glad hearts, and our glad hearts leads us to mimic our dad's generosity. That's one of the primary evidences that we know the Spirit is present in a powerful way with us. You can't fake this kind of generosity. But isn't that just a beautiful image? You're sitting together as a family sharing a meal. The meal itself is a gift from God. So God, thank you for this beautiful gift. The people around the table are a gift. I look around the table and I see adopted in brothers and sisters. Their stories are a gift. Our laughter is a gift. Our shared tears are a gift. The noise of our children in the room is a gift. (laughs) It's all a gift. The things that we've come to resent are gifts. And maybe the greatest gift of all is we look around the table of these diverse people, which we, we would never be, we would never, we'd never be found in the bar together outside of, like, we wouldn't be at a sporting event. We're just, we're not, we don't have that common ground, but we've been adopted in. And the beauty of the gospel hits us in that moment to, to, to remind us that every one of us were these rebel kids running hard and fast from God, and we deserve judgment. And what does a kind, merciful father give to us instead? A home a family, acceptance, affirmation, love, all because of the work of Jesus. And the weight of that drives us or compels us to be generous in the same way that our dad has been generous with us. And now notice what's happening. The Lord, it says, added to their number day by day those who are being saved. If Acts were to be written today, here's how it would be written. The Lord added to their number by day those who are switching churches or maybe in our own context it would say the lord was adding to their number day by day those who were pcsing i actually normally feel like the lord is taking away from me day by day those who are pcsing right but that's how it would be written but no it actually says those who are being saved Guys, when is the last time that we have cried out to Jesus and asked him to please make this happen in our family? That he would add to our family day by day those who are being adopted in. Man, I was wrestling with this text all week and I've just decided we're going to set a cap or a quota for PCSers. So we'll put an application form on the website and then we'll cap it after like the first 20 PCSers in June and we'll step it down because we need space in our family. And look, is there ever a time to switch church families? Rarely. You should persevere with your family, but that's a sermon for another time. I don't want to get into the weeds on that. The point is, there needs to be room in our family for those who are being added. And guys, here's our problem. We read Acts like it's a history book. Acts is not a history book. It's a happening book. We've got to stop reading it as history and start reading it as our ongoing story. And that for a people who will wait before they work and for a people who will simply share Jesus in common and so share their meals, share their prayers, and share their resources, God will add to that family day by day, not those who are PCSing and not those who are switching churches, but those who are being adopted into the family for the first time. Jesus, would you make that happen here and spirit be present in power because we can't make that happen, but that's our hope. All right, we got to wrap this up. Um, our narrative began with the addition of three people or yeah, three people, 3000 people, right? 3000 people in a day. Imagine the work to organize that family in week one of the church, like zero or 30 to 3000. Now, it's not too much different for us, but on obviously a much smaller scale, we need to organize in order to live well together as a family. And the way we do that is through our missional communities. And here's the bottom line. We need more missional communities for various reasons. But last last year really degraded our ability to live well as a church of missional communities, whether it was COVID or just a difficult PCS cycle, whatever. We've got to give ourselves to this this year. 
And so we are actively looking for people who would be willing to serve as missional community host homes and missional community leaders. And if you think you even have an interest in this, I want to personally invite you to our next training, which is on Sunday afternoon, May 2nd. And uh, if you're a current missional community leader, I would like for you to join us for a bit of a refresher. And if you have just this much interest, I want to uh, invite you to join us, hopefully by then a meal that we can share together and for a conversation about our missional communities. All right, let's wrap it this way. Last week, we talked about spirit-empowered people waiting before they work, right? You remember that? Spirit-empowered people wait before they work. And I got a text a couple days later, and the text, the text went like this. said, man, I just finished your sermon, and I really hope to learn how to wait. I'm clueless. I didn't respond for a little while because I didn't want to confess that I'm fairly clueless too, that I struggle really hard in this area. And eventually, I responded, and I asked if I could share that text this morning, and the person said, Yes. And then this week I'm reading in Luke and here's what Luke 442 says. It says, when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. Guys, we've made church more complicated than it needs to be. And we make being a Christian something other than what Jesus intended. Do you know how we wait on the spirit? I mean, do you know how we, we obey that? It starts here. We go to a desolate place. We just get alone with Jesus and spend time with him waiting. But that's the starting point, and it's not meant to be something all alone. This is how we wait, especially when struggling personally. It's meant to be shared with family. So we could say it this way, a spirit-empowered people learns to wait together by devoting themselves to Jesus' words and ways as a family. Guys, if you're like me, and you're like the person who texted me, and you struggle waiting alone, your father knows. And your father designed a family for you to be a part of so that we could wait together by sharing Jesus' words and sharing Jesus' way. So as we turn five years old, guys, like, is this who we are? Or have we made it something else and more difficult and more complicated? Am I sharing these things with the family? Are we sharing these things together as a family? And the good news of the gospel is God doesn't accept us based upon our performance. So he didn't adopt you in because you would share well. In fact, you know who God adopted into his family? A bunch of kids who wouldn't share well. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, the Father, is more committed to cultivating this in you than we are cultivating this in ourselves. So I just want you to know, if you're going to be part of our church family, we understand this is not who we are perfectly. We're, we, not at all. But this is our Father's vision for his family. And this is what we are going to give ourselves to. And we are going to seek our Father together and ask him to make this happen here. So John, if you'd come now as one of our pastors, John's going to... Uh, lead us in prayer, I think. I don't see John. There he is. Come on, John. Uh, please uh, just thank God and uh, lead us in, in a prayer of confession, please.